Phoenix Tales is a community celebrating everyday women overcoming extraordinary challenges in their lives, discovering the fire within and like the phoenix enduring the ashes to rise again. Each of you has a phoenix tale or a phoenix moment. As we create this community of women with grace and grit, share your own phoenix tale or your own phoenix moment on our website. We're honored to hear another story to welcome another phoenix. Mary Sedeus was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in 2009. While undergoing traditional treatments, she turned to alternative treatment protocols to help her. Hear how she faced this life-threatening challenge, like the phoenix to rise from the ashes, to reimagine her life, but more importantly, to find a new purpose. Please welcome Mary Sedeus. All right, Mary, welcome to Phoenix Tales. So I just I'm going to start with the question I ask everybody, and um, which is, was there anything in your life, a moment, uh, an event, whether it was personal or professional, that was incredibly challenging and that might have reshaped maybe the course of your life and perhaps put you to where you are today? Back in 2009, I was diagnosed with cancer. non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And that definitely um, woke me up (laughs) um, to a crazy reality uh, and uh, it changed the trajectory of my life. Definitely did. And so at the time, um, were were you married, raising a family? What part of what period of your life did this happen? Um, no, I had, I was already divorced. Uh, I divorced in 2005. Um, but I had my, my daughter with me. She was 21. So she was fairly young still. Um, and, uh, I was living, you know, I was taking care of her. She was living with me. Um, I was working and, uh, you know, working in the legal field. And, uh, that was the, the, what, that's where I was going. I was heading to be a uh, paralegal. And uh, when I got cancer, that all slowly but surely changed everything. Um, and had you worked before? Uh, were you in a different profession before you uh, started down, down the path of becoming a paralegal? Um, I had worked in a bank before that, um, but I've always wanted to work in a law firm. I thought I wanted to be an attorney. Ah, okay. Um, yeah, I always wanted to become an attorney. Um, because I, I, you know, I like to ask questions. I like to dig deep. I like to defend. It's all, you know, that defender type of attitude, you know. And so I always wanted to be an attorney. And and when I found out what it took, and I was in the field for a little while, I said, you know what? Maybe maybe just researching and doing all the footwork is just good for me. Because <laughs> then I had had my daughter, and of course things slowed down a little bit for me. But yeah, that was the trajectory. That was the path I was going to take. And, um, and then I figured, you know what, legal, being a legal assistant and a paralegal was, was where I wanted to stay for a while and see where that led me. I was terrified of the chemo, you know, all the chemicals and all the stuff that was going to do to my body. You know, it can hurt your heart. It can hurt your liver. You're going to have neuropathy. You're going to have many, many things can happen to you, um, with this type of, uh, medic, you know, treatment. And I said, well, 
Uh, what if I don't do anything? Because, <laughs> well, eventually, you know, you're, you're not going to be around. I said, oh, I see. So um, with that, I just, I took a month off to, 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 to really, you know, dig deep into my soul and, and find middle ground where I, where, I, where I could be okay with whatever I wanted to do. You know, I, I didn't want to do that. So and I didn't know what I knew now. What I know now, I didn't know then. So I talked to a couple of friends of mine and one of them was a chemist. He worked as a chemist. And he said, because I was interested in doing holistic stuff. I always wanted to do uh, things holistically, um, naturally, you know, Western medicine. You know, I liked the unconventional type of thing. That's how I always led my life, staying away from toxins and stuff like that. So I thought, you know, let me do this way. And so I, I, I bumped into div- divinely, I say, because I, I didn't know this person. She was a health educator and she said, okay, let's, let's do some things. Let's um, try some wheatgrass. And we did some wheatgrass and we did some colonics with the wheatgrass. And um, she took away sugar and meat from me. And I did that. And then I went to Jamaica with some friends. And, you know, all that happened the month before. And then my friend said, why don't you do both? Why don't you do the chemo and also do the organic dieting and whatever you're doing? And, you know, at that time, that sat well with me. That's something that I could do. Mm-hmm. And it was something that I felt okay with. And so that's the, the path that I took when I came back. I scheduled my first chemo in February, February 9th, 2009. I remember, I won't forget that date. It was supposed to be for uh, three, four months, I think. Um, every couple of weeks for four hours, I would sit there and do the chemo. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first day was frightening. So as you were going through your treatment, you were also obviously doing more holistic treatments as complementary to the traditional uh, Western approach, right? Right. And so what were those alternative treatments that you were practicing along with the chemotherapy? Okay, so um, along with that, I was doing, of course, organic dieting. I was taking care that everything was organic that I ate because I wasn't doing that before. So I, when I did the research, I realized I was consuming a lot of chemicals, pesticides. Um, and um, so I started doing organic dieting. I limited my sugar to like almost no sugar. I stayed away from the red meat and, um, and then I started doing, they had a, um, there was a wellness center that was connected with Baptist hospital that would uh, uh, have yoga for survivors. And so I started doing yoga class once or twice a week and I was still working by the way, I'd still go to work. Um, but every, every like three, almost four days after the chemo, I would have to go home and rest for like a day or two because it really drained you. But um, the, the yoga helped me so much, um, the stretching and the breathing and, um, you know, all the gentle motions that it did with us. It, it helped me so, so much. And meditation as well. I did start doing a lot of meditation. Good. And so how long did the treatments last? It went from February to May, end of May. And it would be over like every three months. I mean, I'm sorry, every three weeks. Got it. And then when were your first scans coming out uh, when you found out that you were cancer-free? Well, the first scans that came out were three, actually, at the third month, like um, February, March, like around Easter time. So they took my first PET scan and a mugger scan. And they said, hey, you're all, you know, it looks like you're clear. I said, oh, great. Then I can stop the chemo. And they go, no, 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 no. 
You have to continue the chemo for this to work, you know, like antibiotics, you have to keep taking them till the end. Okay. So I continued. And then they said, you're free. You're free of cancer. Um, You're good to go. I left the hospital. I don't think I ever went back for anything because they never called me back. I never went back. I kept doing yoga. I kept doing it every week. I I, um, enrolled in a local um, kind of yoga in Paul Gables. So I started going there once a week. It's like I would end that class and be on the floor. I said, thank God for this. This is so, so good. It was so soothing and calming. And it really, really helped me a lot, you know, physically, mentally, spiritually. Were there any moments during the treatment or perhaps right after getting the diagnosis where you were really afraid that perhaps you wouldn't survive? That's when I had that first pity party. Like as soon as I found out about it and I went home and cried and I said, oh my God. But after that, I, I said, you know, something, just something said, Mary, you're not, you know, it was either my higher self or an angel, but something inside of me said, this is not it. You're not, this is, you've got too much to do. <laughs> you're not, you're not done yet on this earth you're gonna you know something just very reassuring within within inside of my being and how Um, old were you at this period because my daughter was 21 i think it was like 48 so sometimes when people face a life-threatening moment um they tend to take stock right Mm -hmm. so after you got your clearance that your body was rid of the cancer did you feel this sense of renewal and how did that re- sense of renewal uh, change the direction or perhaps the trajectory of your life in a way? Well, you know, I survived this and I know there's some people who don't survive it because I have, I found out later I had a cousin who had what I had and didn't survive it. So it's something, something that I did and t- I took charge of my own well-being is what I did. I. I did the chemo, but I also took care of myself. And while I was doing the chemo, I took care of it through yoga, through meditation, through my food, all the things that I was doing. I, I do believe all that contributed to me still being here today <laughs> and making it through. Um, and, and so I, I said, man, then if I could do this, then I could share this with other people and help other people. And that's when I decided, you know what, I, I went to the, the teachers there at the Pana Yoga, and I said, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in your teacher training. And they said to me, okay, why don't you uh, continue taking classes here for like another year? And if you like our, you know, our lineage or how we teach and our way of teaching and our, what we do here, then definitely um, you can consider becoming a teacher. So I, I did. I kept doing the yoga. I would go to workshops and different things they had um, throughout the year. and then. At the end of that year, I said, I'm ready to become a teacher and pay this forward. And I did. And, so um, when was that? And how long have you been teaching? Okay, so that was in, uh, so that was in the following year, 2011. Mm-hmm. Because by the time I had cleared and everything, it, it was already the end of 2009 and 2010. And that's when I, you know, I, I confronted them and I asked them about that. So they said, do another year. So that was 2011. So it was, I think it was March, 2000, yeah, it was March, 2011. And I got my, I got certified in, um, Hatha yoga. It's called Tantra Hatha yoga because it has, um, 
breathing, uh, you know, meditation and pranayama. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so they call it happy yoga with, with the, uh, with those modalities in it. And I graduated, I got my certificate in uh, June of that same year. And I started teaching right away, you know, for free, you know, I would do, um, donation based at a local hostel where I lived in Homestead at the time. And, uh, so that got me started and then I went into parks and then, um, soon after that, um, a friend of mine was working at a park in Doral. And she needed a sub. So I started subbing there. And then like about a year or two later after that, she left and I was, you know, I I became the teacher there with another teacher. So I've been doing that for eight years. So I've been teaching all together, like for about 10. You make your story sound so seamless. Like I had cancer and I these alternative treatments along with the chemo and I was doing yoga and then I decided to become a yoga teacher. And, and that's not usually the trajectory of most people when they're faced with life-threatening illness, right? And I I, I just I want to say that because, you know, for anybody listening, you make it sound so seamless and I'm Sure, it wasn't as you were living it. But more importantly, what do you think it is about you? And I, I and I'm always trying to get to and distill to this question of every guest I interview, is it something in your nature that, you know, enabled you to put one foot forward as you were facing this life-threatening illness? Or was it a nurture, right? Like the way you were raised that you know, mm-hmm. so, and for each person, I think it's a little different, right? For some of us, some people have like just a strong will and their, you know, home life was chaotic and they didn't have support, mm-hmm. but, but they have something within themselves that, you know, always pushes them forward, right? And they are able right. to see through the forest for, for whatever reason. Right. And then other people maybe don't have that sense of will, but they come from a more nurturing background where they've been given all of these tools, right, and support so that they feel emboldened to perhaps to be able to see through the forest. So in your case, because you do make your story sound so (laughs) seamless and I know it wasn't, um, what do you think it is? Is it your nature or nurture that enabled you to move forward like that? And then more importantly, to find a whole new direction in your life? Um, I think it's a, it was a little bit of both. Um, I was always strong-willed as a child. Um, but I also had two, uh, two parents that never said I couldn't do anything. They didn't say, oh, you can't do that or you can't do that. They never told me you can't do this. If I wanted to do something, they supported me. Um, and having said that, they're immigrants from Sicily. So they came over um, not knowing much, not knowing the language. And they pers- persevered. Um, they, you know, I remember my mom saying, I watched a lot of TV. I said, how did you learn English? How did you? I, I watched a lot of TV, a lot of TV and learned the language. And she, she worked right away. Um, they came over with my, my older brother. Um, and so, you know, they never said, oh, you can't do this. They They just supported me, you know? And I think that was a, a big thing growing up. They never put any um, blocks, um, and I and I and I was strong-willed as well. So I think that, that both combinations um, helped me. Um, and then when I, as I grew older, also they depended on me for different things. They, since I was so strong-willed, and I always researched things and always did new things, and I was like the first one to go to college. You know, both my brothers didn't didn't do that, um, and and just I just 
We did a lot of things out of our, you know, our family that, you know, the first ones to do a first one to do a lot of things. And so I think both of those things, me being strong, a strong will and doing what I want. And, um, and, and then my parents not saying, you know, didn't block me. They said, oh, yeah, you know, they, they, you know, do what you got to do. My father's famous words is do what you have to do. <laughs> so I did what I have to do. And I, and that's what I did. And growing up, I just did what I had to do. I put the next best thing, the next best thing I had to do and followed that and followed my intuition. And um, yeah, I think that's what, basically what it was. So did you grow up speaking Italian? Yeah, that was my first language. Actually, it's Sicilian. If we're uh, going to get really down to it. it, it's not really a language and it wasn't written. It was like a sort of like a master language. Like they've always wanted it to be a, um, how do you say, a dialect. And they right. always wanted to, they've always wanted to write it, but they never, never, that never transpired. So it was sort of like what we spoke there, you know, and there's different regions. There's, you know, when you're in Naples, you have that slang. When you're up north in Rome, you have a different slang. And, down in Sicily on the island, we had, you know, that's me, you know, sort mm-hmm. of like, yeah. And so then I learned Italian from my grandmother, who really spoke it well. And then just going back to making that career shift at the age of, I think you said 48. Yeah. Um, how was it to enter a profession that is so body centered and that is, you know, I mean, I hate to say it, but the Instagram mm-hmm. world has, turned a practice, a beautiful practice of yoga into an aesthetic, right? I know, I know. And I, 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 I am so conflicted about it myself because I know I post pictures of myself. I, you know, I have to shoot photos and post yeah. them. And, and I'm very conflicted about my contribution to this um, notion that the practice is an, an art form, right? Really. How did you navigate um, kind of that terrain of entering a field a profession in which it is can be very, very well in New York, very competitive, but mm-hmm. also is about youth and body focus. You know, to tell you the truth, back then, IEG and Facebook for me weren't very popular. You know, it was there. I think Facebook was there. I I, I saw everything through the lens of healing. You know, because since I, you know, it helped me so much. I saw it through that lens. So I really didn't. It didn't really phase me back then. And so now as um, somebody who obviously is a mature yoga teacher, how do you navigate, you know, those moments when you walk into a room and everybody is younger than you? You know, I, I see myself as their mother. Yeah. So for the for the audience, um, you're based in Florida, right? So people yes. are like, what is she talking about teaching outside? <laughs> it's I know, degrees right? outside. <laughs> Yeah, right. I, I'm in Miami, Florida, and I teach at a park in Doral, which is gorgeous, beautiful. We, but I've been teaching online for almost a year now because they closed the park program, and they're telling me now they're probably going to open this summer. I don't know why they're not only open already, but we're going to open it in, in another park, um, which is a nature park. And so hopefully soon, I can't wait to start teaching there. Um, I'm also going to start teaching on Lincoln Road, um, Cherry Yoga. Oh, wonderful. Opened a program out there. So that's based on the trauma, right? Trauma-informed yoga, right? Yeah, trauma-informed yoga. I just finished their uh, yoga teacher training, another 200 hours. Um, That's where we met. (laughs) Amazing. That's where we met, yeah. And um, that was amazing. I've learned 
so, so much. I mean, it took my teaching to another level. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, all the things that I've learned. I mean, trauma has been something I'm stu- I've been studying for years through different teachers, one of them being um, Sean Korn. She does trauma work. And, mm-hmm. I've, and I've been to her workshops and things, and I learned a lot from her and just studying and with other teachers and other workshops that I've been. So I've been studying trauma work for a while. So this was just a natural pathway of this teaching, uh, the 200-hour conscious yoga teacher training. Right. And I would imagine that your own trauma of having gone through the cancer diagnosis and the cancer treatment um, certainly informs uh, your ability to relate to teaching those who have suffered a trauma. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I have that. I've been on the other side, so I know um, how that person uh, feels, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you know, and other traumas too. Like I've learned generation, generational traumas and the children have traumas and where they store in the body and mm-hmm. how they can manifest um, if you don't uh, process them and ways to process them through yoga and different other modalities that you can that learned over the years, you know. And now it's even further with the cueing and the, you know, your classes and how to handle the different situations of trauma, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. Well, um, so my last question is always just kind of a, uh, a out of the box question. So, I'm going to ask you if you could find one book that maybe describes your life. What would that book be? The last book I read, which I, I could resonate with, was um, the Sean Horn book that she wrote. It was um, Revolution of the Soul. And she comes from trauma, childhood trauma. And, um, you know, I also had tra- childhood trauma as well. and. Um, yeah, that would be, I mean, not to the T, but if you read it and, uh, you know, in her, and I guess that's probably why I resonated with her, you know, because mm-hmm. she was also researching trauma and how she held it in the body and how she finally processed it and how she's paying it forward through her yoga. Well, Mary, um, thank you so much for being a wonderful guest. Uh, so as I always like to tell my audience, I pick people who are inspired, right? In how they f- face their own challenges. And in their inspiration, I think you or all of us are inspired by you, right? That you inspire the rest of us in your own inspiration. So I know that there are many people out there who probably have faced um, disease or any kind of trauma. And I'm sure they really appreciated your ability to be frank and honest about your own journey in um, overcoming that. You want to tell everybody where they can find you when, if they want to find you online or on Instagram? Sure, sure. First of all, uh, thank you. I'm really humbled and honored um, that you um, reached out to me and um, this is this is amazing. Thank you so much. Um, you can find me on Instagram. I have an Instagram page, Mary Serdatas. Um, I also have Facebook. I'm not on there as much, but um, you can find me there. Uh, I'm not really like 
It's really Instagram that you can find me on. I'm really doing all my magic over there. Um, you can also, if you want to check out um, Warrior Flow TV, I have like about 10 classes on there and um, all kind of different. Get an idea of how I teach. And, um, you know, I'm open for students here in Miami uh, online um, and in person. If, so if you're not living in Miami, I also do Zooms. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Phoenix Tales, a show about women overcoming challenges and like the Phoenix to be reborn, their lives reimagined. Make sure to tune in to our next episode to hear another inspired story. I am Yuliana Kim Grant. The show is edited by Podigy. Music is by Ryan Pruitt. It's like a dream, so let me never wake up. I was so hung up on myself, just like a stick in the mud. A little time, a little patience. When I got tired of waiting, then I found that gem within me sticking out of the mud. And they go ask me why I do it. I'ma say this because we gon' be the best on earth, just like we be out in rust. Pass behind me like a book bag, hanging down a coat rack, focused on the future, not that coulda, shoulda, would. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave your comments on the platform where you get your podcasts. If you think you have a Phoenix tale, please send us a note on our Instagram and Facebook pages. If you just want to stay connected to Phoenix Tales, once again, you can go on to our Instagram and Facebook pages to get all the latest updates.